Best in Erica's Rock and Roll Music Hour. I'm Erica. And I'm Bessie, and we're always glad to entertain you guys. As usual. And um, tonight's episode is very, very special. We have my first celebrity guest, CJ Ramon of the Ramones. I'm sure if you're a Ramones fan like I am, you know who that is. And um, he was the last Ramon to be entered into the band in the 90s. And I had the wonderful pleasure and honor of interviewing him a couple weeks ago. I just want to say that he is an awesome, down-to-earth guy, and considering he was part of the most iconic punk band to exist, he is such an awesome, just regular dude. I just want to give a big shout-out and a huge thank you to him for letting me interview him and me just being a regular person, just being awesome to say yes. So thank you so much, CJ, for being on my podcast. I really, really, really appreciate it. And thank you also for promoting it and bringing in more listens that's very appreciated because i hope that we get a lot of listens because of this and i'm so excited to have you on it so thank you um we're gonna get to that really soon but i just wanted to say a couple opening things before that i wanted to give a shout out to my friend james who is helping me produce my newest album and i'm really really excited about it we've been working on it we just finished up tracking all the drums for the 10 songs last week so big shout out and big thank you to him and my studio drummer that played on it Dwayne. And you guys are awesome, so thank you so much. And then the last thing I'm going to say is that also check out um, this awesome little radio interview that I did on um, a man named Alan K. Lore's profile on this app on the iPhone called Spare Men. I'm posting a link of the phone interview that I did with him on my Facebook page, so go check out my Facebook and check it out because it was a really cool little interview. Now I'm going to pass it off to my grandmother because as it is a Halloween episode, she has a fun Halloween story to share. So I'm going to pass it off to her. Yes, I do have a very special Halloween story to tell this time on our Halloween podcast. I'm going to tell a story about thousands of dry bones in the valley. And this is not a made up story. It's a story from the Bible in the book of Ezekiel chapter 37. And uh, many thousands of years ago, the children of Israel, many of them were killed and slain And they had been dead so long that their bones had been there in the valley of the dry bones so many years that uh, they had just dried up and they were white. They had no life whatsoever to them. And Ezekiel was a prophet of God and the Holy Spirit of God overcame Ezekiel and he went to this, uh, ended up and he woke up from the spirit. He realized he's standing in a valley of all skeletons, thousands of them everywhere. And so uh, he just didn't know what to do. And so he started to walk by them and God spoke to him he said prophesy to them Ezekiel so he spoke to them and just instantly these bones all started coming together to every skeleton that was there that each bone that belonged to the person it went to that person and they were connected and they came to life as they all came to life and stood up God spoke to Ezekiel again And they took flesh up on them and skin, and they became living souls once again by the power of God. He told them that he would give them a new leader, and he would take them back to their homeland after he had restored their life unto them. And Ezekiel looked up on them, and he said, There were so many, it looked like an army. And if any of you out there are interested in reading about it, go to chapter 37, the book of Ezekiel, and you can read all about it. The intro song for this episode 
episode of our podcast is Dry Bones in the Valley about that thing that happened by the Delta Rhythm Boys. It was recorded back in the 1940s. I was just a little girl, but I remember hearing my family sing it back then, but I didn't know what they were singing about, but I remember hearing it. And <laughs> I'm going to tell this, too. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, told my, I told my granddaughter here, Erica Case, about it. She thought I was just <laughs> making it. <laughs> making it up but i don't make up stuff like that (laughs) i'm pretty old of course and sometimes you know that people might think when you're older you surmise stuff (laughs) but i don't surmise anything because i have a brilliant mind and i'm still able to learn songs and play music and i just think it's hilarious (laughs) she thought i made it up And I do hope you enjoy this story, but I know it's unusual to tell a story about the Bible on Halloween, but it's as real as Halloween stuff is. And uh, some of these producers from movies and things like that, that's where they get some of the stories they make about the walking dead, the living dead, and spirits and poltergeist and all that. A lot of it comes from the Bible because it speaks about it. And I'm going to turn it back over to Erica Case, and and I just am very, (laughs) very, very tickled that she thought I made up a story about dry bones coming to life. (laughs) And I hope you enjoy our music that we played for it and enjoy the whole podcast. Now I'll turn it back to Erica. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I didn't think that you made it up because you're old or anything. (laughs) I just thought that, like, I know that you're a really avid reader of the Bible. So I was like, okay, well, I totally believe that the story is in there, I guess. Even though that's like, first of all, I just want to say that I haven't, you know, read the Bible completely. I've only read certain parts of it. But there's... And I'm finding out recently there's a lot of stories in it that are really strange (laughs) that I was not aware of. So, if anything, it's a fascinating book, for sure. Yeah, like, I had no idea that the story was in there. Like, it's crazy. And I completely agree with you um, about, you know, movie ideas and stuff like that. I mean, it's like all of those ideas had to come from somewhere. So, it's like they're pulling from ancient stories just so it's like there's so many movies that are made inspired by stories that that aren't so obvious like the ten commandments but like inspired by things like that in the bible that are kind of weird and like you wouldn't expect that to be in there so definitely i mean that's that's like an original zombie story right there (laughs) so (laughs) that's fascinating but yeah i didn't think that you made it up because you were old i just thought that like i thought No, but, like, I thought that basically, like, that story was real and it was in the Bible. But what I didn't believe was that that song was made up from that story. Because when I was in school, I had always heard that song, the leg bones connected to the thigh bone. Like, I had heard that song my whole life and I always thought that was just, like, a funny, like, school made-up song or, like, like just a silly nursery song type of thing. I know, but it's crazy. You were right. Like, (laughs) in my head, I was like, I was like, I mean, maybe she's right, but I don't know. (laughs) So anyways, but that's hilarious. And I think it's funny because I looked it up. I literally looked it up today on the internet, Dry Bones in the Valley. And it was like, yeah, this is an original song that was composed by a composer way before the 1940s. And it was originally a gospel song. And I just was amazed. My mind was blown out because I was like, I don't think this song is about that. Lo and behold, I'm wrong. (laughs) And it is about that. So um, here's your knowledge of the day. (laughs) So thank you so much for sharing that story, though, because, yeah, because even if you're not religious or whatever, I think that 
the Bible itself is fascinating just on a storytelling point of view, no matter if, you know, you're Christian, Jewish, Mormon, whatever. Like, I think that there are a lot of fascinating stories in there, especially something like that. <laughs> that's fascinating to me. And like I said, it's also blowing my mind that that song is about that. <laughs> so anyways, I hope that you enjoyed listening to that story and the funny part about it as much as I enjoyed it <laughs> because it's hilarious to me. So, But that's fascinating, and I, I'm glad that you shared that with us. And um, I figured that would be... She was, she was telling me about it the other day, and I was like, yeah, you should definitely talk about that on our podcast because... It's appropriate for Halloween time and zombies and all things like that. So, well, <laughs> with all of that excitement, I'm not going to spend any more time talking. <laughs> I want to get to our amazing interview between me and CJ. And while I was recording audio for it, it snipped off the very beginning of our interview. And I wanted to preface the interview so that you can get caught up in the right part and it won't be confusing. So I apologize for that. Um, that's on my end. But when we first began the interview, uh, we had some Skype issues. So I just want to thank him so much for having patience with me and, and working with me while I work through those technical difficulties. At the beginning of our interview, the first question that I had was, how did you come across learning about that there was an audition for a basis in the remotes? Um, and that was my first question. The beginning of his answer started off with telling me basically that his brother played drums in Mickey Lee, which is Joe Ramon's brother, Mickey Lee's band. CJ Ramon's brother playing drums in that band obviously would firsthand find out stuff about the Ramones because of being Joey's brother. So... Basically, Joe Ramon's brother told CJ's brother, hey, we have an opening in the Ramones for a bassist, so you should tell your brother about this because he's a bass player, obviously. So um, so that's pretty awesome. I didn't know that. And I don't think that's something that's uh, just hanging around on the internet. So again, it was such an amazing interview, and I think everything inside of this interview is very cool and not stuff that you can just find online. So I'm very excited to share this with everybody, and so I'm going to get right to that. I got there 15 minutes before the audition started, and I was the first one in. Oh, wow, okay. I got to the studio, and um, uh, the, uh, the Ramones drum tech, Mitch Keller, uh, met me at the desk. And he was like, hey, I was like, yeah, I'm here for the audition. Like, oh, yeah, okay. He went out and went in. He got Monty. Monty came out. I introduced myself to Monty Melnick, the Ramones uh, tour manager. Right. Was there from the beginning. Yeah. Um, and uh, it uh, was a little bit of a conversation with Monty. What's your name? Mobiles and that all good stuff. And then he brought me inside the room, and I walked in, and Johnny was fiddling with his amp, and Mark was setting up his drums and adjusting stuff. And I walked right over to Johnny, and I said, "Johnny, my name's Chris Ward. Huge fan. Great to meet you." And he was like, "Oh, okay, yeah, good. All right. He's like, um, "You're a fan?" I go, "Yeah, yeah." He goes, "Oh, okay." Johnny's um, big question for everybody, how he could tell to you really a fan, he would ask me how many shows he saw. How many shows he seen? That's awesome. Probably 15 or something like that, 20 shows. Yeah. He was like, oh, okay, all right, you're a fan. <laughs> so I went over to the amp, I plugged in my bass, got my bass out, plugged it in. Um, Johnny's uh, guitar tech, um, Rick Weinman, who went on to be uh, Eddie Vedder's guitar tech, um, he uh, he came over and helped me get everything set up, and we got all set up. And I uh, got a little sound down, and then he was like, "All right, what do you know?" I said, "I want to be sedated." So Mark counted it off, and we played it. We stopped. Johnny asked me a couple more questions, and um, 
he was like, all right, let's run it down again. So we played it again. Now, I keep in mind, I really had never played with a pick and, and not in that style. I never did the old downstroke thing, but right. because I was a fan, I knew that's what the style was and that's what I intended to do. And, 100%. And, uh, and so, yeah, so I pulled it off. And while we were playing it the second time, Joey walked in the door. So as soon as we were done, I put the bass down. I walked over and introduced myself to Joey. I was like, Joey, Chris Ward, my friends with Frank Saida, your brother's drummer. And, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a quick little conversation, and I went back over and talked to John. He said, all right, you know, thanks for coming down. And, and Monty came over and escorted me out. He said, we'll give you a call. Right. And, um, and that's how it started. And I went back and forth for a while there, you know, going to auditions and everything. But um, each time, you know, I, I went home. I I called up everybody I knew. I was like, just play with the remote, you know. That's incredible. But, um, I didn't think I would get a call back. I didn't think it was going to be. And I didn't think anything would come of it. Yeah. And I got a call back and from Monty, and he was like, yeah, learn a couple new songs and um, and come back. And I, so I did that. It was a couple of weeks. I was going back and forth, and I finally realized, oh, my God, I'm, on, I, I'm in the running to get this job. Yeah. So I, um, I called back to base, and I, I got on the phone with... Uh, with the Marine back at base. I was stationed at Camp Pendleton in, uh, out in California. And um, I said, yeah, listen, my name is Ward C.J. Private. I said, I've been, uh, I've been gone for a little while. I'm just trying to figure out what do I need to do to, to get straightened out. And uh, the guy was like, well, well, yeah, we'll give you a call back. And I immediately went that man. <laughs> Fifteen minutes later, the cops were knocking on my door, picked me up, took me to... Uh, Fifth precinct out here on Long Island. Oh my goodness! Fifth precinct. I think, so. I think it was the fifth. And I spent the night in uh, in the jail out here. Wow. And then um, I still live on Long Island, by the way. Um, oh. Uh, two Marines. Uh, actually, a bounty hunter picked me up the next morning. Took me to Fort Hamilton in Brooklyn. Oh spent the afternoon there. Two Marines picked me up from there. Took me to the Naval Brig in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Spent the night there, and then. Uh, I picked up my two Marines from there and brought down to Quantico, Virginia. So it's, uh, I think I got there two days or three days after I got picked up. And um, uh, we, we didn't actually get put in a jail. We got put in um, barracks that the MPs uh, were using. But I think they had, um, I think the, the, they had deployed or something and the, the, uh, the barracks were empty. So we were staying in uh, four-man rooms. Mm-hmm. And, um, so we got there, and it was our first night there. We were sitting in a common area watching TV, and uh, the corporal on duty came out, and he was like, hey, Ward, you got a phone call. I was like, oh, that's my mother. She's crying. <laughs> like, yeah, here we go. And uh, I picked up the phone, and said, uh, Chris? I said, yeah, it's Johnny Ramon. <laughs> I go, Johnny, listen, I'm really sorry. I should have told you what was going on. And uh, and he was like, well, what did they say? When While I was in um, Philadelphia, I had uh, been talking to uh, one of the guys, guards that were on duty. And uh, he was telling me, yeah, there's a new commandant coming in. So what they're doing with all you guys that are UA or deserter status is they're just processing you out. They're just discharging everybody. And um, so I told Johnny, I said, chances are I'll be out of here in like a month, two months or something. 
And uh, he was like, all right, we'll do your time, and when you get out, you got a job. Wow. That's how I found that I got the game of <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's not uh, not the typical story, uh, you know, rock and roll, you know, dream story or anything, but I it was, um, it, it, you know, the, the, the thing is, that, like, I've never been afraid to take a chance in my life. Like, I've never been afraid of taking a chance. I've, I've done some really stupid things and got myself into trouble and got hurt and everything else, but I never regretted it because my, my, my big fear has always been that I'll spend my my old age going, damn, I should have done that, damn, I should have done that. There's oh, yeah. almost nothing I can say that, uh, say that about. Like, literally, there's almost nothing I can say that about. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And that's really how I try to, how I, how I always try to live my life. So while I know it sounds like, you know, I can't believe that you got to know this for the Ramones, to me, it was just like another one of those situations in my life where an opportunity came my way and I didn't worry about it. I didn't question it, nothing. I just went and did it. And, and sometimes, you know, just when just showing up, you know, sometimes you, a lot of other people just don't have the guts to, to make the move or to show up. And, that's true. And in the music business, I mean, opportunities like that come up very rarely. Oh, and yeah. I recognize that. And that's, you know, one of the things that made me jump at it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's incredible. I, it sounds funny that somebody might get an audition for um, for a band and, and turn it down. But just as a for instance, after I was in the Ramones, I got friendly with a lot of other bands. Um I was friends with a band that was up and coming. They were, they had, I think they had like an MTV hit. They were starting to get pretty well known. And um, I got in touch with a friend of mine from from my hometown and was like, this band's looking for a bass player? You know? Yeah. Go down, jam with them. And, and, and he just, he went down and played with them, but he just like panicked. When he started to realize he might get it, he got like kind of scared. Yeah. Because uh, they had a tour coming up and they were fairly big sized shows, and I guess it just was intimidating to him. But that's not unusual. You would think like that's ridiculous, but it's really not that unusual. Well, yeah. You know? It's an it's a very intimidating thing to step into into a, uh, an already formed band where everyone else is is already friends and and they're already established, and all of a sudden like you know, like, be expected to be able to do this and do that. And it's not like playing in a club band. It's, the pressure is, is heavy. It's really, uh, it's not a, a, an easy thing to adjust to. No, oh, yeah, definitely. And so how was that for you, stepping into such a hugely known band? What was that like? So I, I, I've always said, like, had it not been for the Marine Corps, there's probably a good chance I would not have made my time in the Ramones because I went into the Marines because I was just really turning into a shitbird. I was like partying <laughs> all the time. I wasn't working a good job. And at the time, like the, the economy on Long Island where I'm from, I, I worked at a high school in a uh, mil uh, military aircraft factory. We built the A-10 uh, Republic Fairchild. So I, I was working there pretty much out of high school and I thought that would be it, that would be my job, and um, what happened was all the aerospace companies, our whole economy on Long Island was based around aerospace companies, uh, government contractors, mm -hmm. 
Grumman, AIL, Republic Fairchild, Raytheon, all of them operated huge plants here. And um, while Ronald Reagan was in office, they all pulled out and the economy on Long Island collapsed. So I was 21 years old, working as a landscaper, like, you know, really not doing anything. And that's when I went to the Marine Corps, yeah. you know. Um, that was the best thing I could have done. Because I didn't, I, I didn't even realize at the time, like, how, like, just, well, I was a boy. At 21, I was still a boy. Yeah. You know, and that's not to say that I didn't go to work every day and blah, blah, but I really was a boy. I was not a very reliable person. I wasn't uh, focused. I didn't really, I, I just wasn't a man yet. But I went into the Marine Corps and I learned really quickly what being a man was all about and just how to handle yourself in life and not being, you know, not making excuses and not being afraid. And, and it, I think had I not done that, when I got to the Ramones, I would have just continued the partying like I used to do, like, without any parameters, without any limits. And I probably, Johnny would have kicked me out. Yeah. Because, you know, <laughs> that was, that was, from when I went in, that was the, one of the biggest things Johnny wanted to know was, do you have any drug or alcohol problems? And, um. And it was because of what he had gone through with the rest of the band, you know. Yeah. Mark was a was an alcoholic for a lot of years. Uh, Joey was an alcoholic. Dee Dee was a raging drug addict, you know. Oh yeah, I mean and, that. And John really held it all together, and um, he mm -hmm. was looking for somebody that was going to make his job easy and not tougher. Right. But I think because of the Marine Corps, I was able to step in and and be mission oriented, and you know, this is what we want you to do. This is what you need to know. This is where you have to be. All those definite things. And Johnny's whole leadership style, I mean, I'm sure you've heard, everybody oh, yeah. talks about how hard-ass <laughs> John was and everything, yeah. um, but I was totally used to that, and I, I, it didn't bother me being talked to like that, because I had just come from that, right. you know I, mean? yeah. I understand that's how men talk to each other very directly, <laughs> and it never bothered me, I, I just didn't have a problem with it. There were some things he did that I didn't like, you know what I mean, there were some points of view that he had that I didn't like, but... Yeah. For the most part, I had nothing but respect from, for Johnny from the beginning. Um, and, and even though there were time periods where we didn't get along and, you know, and whatnot, I always respected him. Yeah. But, if, uh, you know, the, the fact that he was the way he was and being where I just came from made my transition into the band near seamless. I mean, it really, there was really no problems in the beginning. The biggest problem... Um, uh, I think that I had was um, I I got like spit on and hit with stuff like constantly every show I really took a beat like it was bad I would there's um, there's a, a picture from my first show in Leicester England and I'm on stage with no shirt on but what had happened was I'd been spit on so much that my shirt just absolutely stunk of mucus oh and god when yeah, when we went off for the for the encore, you know, in between the, the set and the encore, we, as we were standing there, I could just smell it, and I just pulled my shirt off because it was horrendous, <laughs> and uh, we went back on stage, and Johnny gave me a lot of grief for that, he's like, you see us pulling our shirts off, and I, 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 I didn't argue with Johnny all the stuff like that, you know what I mean, it's his band, right. but I did, um, I did, uh, you know, take note, and I didn't take my shirt off after that. But um, my, you know, the, the toughest part for me was like 
when, when they used to do that stuff to me, I used to go out to the end of the stage and spit back at them and throw. Because I was getting hit in the face with handfuls of coins. My base had all these little, like, uh, crescent moon marks. Oh, my God. The big coins hit in the front of it. But my face was all nicked up. I got hit in the face with a boot. I got my nose bloodied. So I probably going out to the end of the stage and, and inciting it probably wasn't the best thing I, I could have done. But... You know, I, I knew and recognized right away, like, if, if I just hunker at the back and act afraid, they're just going to, you know, they're just, they're, not only are they not going to like me, they're not going to respect me. Absolutely. So I'd, I'd go out to the end of the stage and I'd be like, fuck you, I fucked the queen in the ass. <laughs> like, I said some nasty stuff to them awesome. in between songs, too, so they could hear me. Yeah. But it was really, um, it was really trial by fire, and I went through that in every country that we went to for the first two years I was in the band, and it Shit. was like, literally, like, after a while, like, uh, we, when we went back to the dressing room, I would have to stand on the other side because I just stunk so bad from being spit on all night. And the other guys were getting spit on too, Johnny and Joey, but not like me. Right. Not, like, I really got bathed in it every night. That's rough. <laughs> it's disgusting, I know. <laughs> It's like when they rush you in frats. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. But the, the good thing about it is, is I really felt like I earned my position. Like, I felt like I, I earned my spot in the band. If everybody would have been all nice to me and everything from the get-go, not sure that it would have meant as much or felt as good. Because I, I remember the day I was driving, and I heard that Dee Dee quit the band, and I said to my buddy that I was with, I was like, I'll never go see another Ramon show. It's not the Ramones or that TV. <laughs> so when I got into the band and people started giving me grief, I remembered that right away. And I said, that's exactly how I felt. I didn't. It's not the Ramones or that TV. I didn't sure. want to see the Ramones playing without TV. Yeah. But I was a Ramones fan, you know what I mean? So you don't really want to see him go away, but oh, yeah. that was a big loss. You know, losing Didi, that was a big loss. But it was his choice. He wanted to go. Yeah, that's he was, true. He was tired, and he wanted to kind of do other things, and he left. Yeah. Well, I think that, um, I, I mean, I've read a lot about how you replaced him, I mean, way before I got in contact with you, so, I mean, I think that you definitely gave them new life once you joined the band, so that's awesome. So. Yeah, I... You know, I, I really went into it with the attitude, like, I'm not going to try to replace Dee Dee. I'm not going to try to be Dee Dee. You know, there's only one Dee Dee. Nobody's ever going to be... Nobody's ever going to be Dee Dee. Oh, absolutely. And, but, but my attitude was, I'm going to do the best job that I can do. I'm going to okay. be the best that I can be on stage. And, like, I'm a... I'm a Johnny used to remind me all the time, you're an old fan, CJ. So, like, me, the like, to me, the highlight always was... Um, it's alive. Like that is like the greatest. The, the film clips of that and stuff. That is the Ramones at their absolute peak. Oh yeah. So like I didn't see them at that point, but I saw them in the really early '80s. I probably saw them in like 1980. That's and, awesome. Um, and they still had lots of life in them back then. Yeah. And, uh, and that's kind of like what I what I wanted to see them be again. You know. And I knew. All I had to do was get up there and go wild, and and sure enough, it kind of forced Johnny to to start moving around a little more, and, and Joey stepped up his game, and and I think after probably after the first couple of months, I was in the band, and 
and I was comfortable and they were comfortable and, and everything settled down because initially it's really tough. Everyone's kind of on edge. They know everyone's like judging them at this right. point because Dee's not there. Everyone had already told Johnny, just break up the band. Like even the insiders, even wow. the people that Johnny respected that he worked with for years had told Johnny, just end it. Just retire now. You guys had a good run, you know. Yeah. And Johnny's like, no, we'll just get a, a young DD looking guy in, and we'll keep going. <laughs> so they felt the pressure too. Yeah. So in the beginning, it was it was definitely a little tense. But after the first couple months, when we started to relax and 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 uh, and, and and they, I guess, their confidence in me got built up we really started having some really good shows and I mean we were playing so fast live it was unbelievably fast yeah um, which I didn't particularly like but um yeah I've seen some clips and stuff well you know I always felt like and I said it to John a couple times if we slowed everything down a little bit I can sing the harmonies we can you know you can get it back to where people know what song it is before the first chorus comes up you know? right but, and I said, and you'll get a couple extra years out of Joey. Because we were playing so fast, he couldn't even sing the lyrics anymore. Couldn't draw a breath between lines. Yeah. Um, but John was like, no, the kids like it that fast. And that's why we did it. So, that leads me into my next question. Um, so, what were your feelings on the retirement show? The very last show that you played together in 1996? So, when... When we... When we first were talking about the retirement show, it was actually going to be a week's worth of shows at CBGB's. Oh, okay. Um, I, I said to John, that would be an unbelievably poetic end to an awkward career, you know, <laughs> if we could really pull that off. Because I, when I say awkward career, I mean that the Ramones are a band that put out some of the greatest rock and roll of all time got no support from the record company, no support from radio, no support from MTV, no support from anybody. Oh, yeah. They basically got ignored by the entire industry, and they became the first DIY band, really, to just get out on the road and hammer out a career on their own. They really are yeah. the first ones to do that. No, absolutely. So that's what I meant by an awkward career. But, um, so the talk started with uh, Hilly Crystal mm -hmm. on a week of Ramon shows at CBGB's. And everything seemed to be going all right, and then I guess Hilly wanted, from what Johnny told me, Hilly wanted to keep a a, a large amount of what was going to come in at the door, I guess. That's what Johnny told me. Mm -hmm. So, um, that fell through. Yeah. How it ended up in L.A. was Johnny was moving to L.A., mm -hmm. and he just wanted to have the last show in L.A. because that's where he was from. Yeah. But I have to say, you know, it's funny, we were bigger out on the West Coast than we were anywhere else in the country. Really? We really. I mean, we would, we did, the, the, crowd, the crowds we pulled in California were almost twice the size of the crowds we pulled in New York. Wow. I don't know. You know, I guess I guess you become a has been in your own in your hometown before you do everywhere else because you <laughs> play it more often than you do anywhere else. You know, <laughs> but um, but yeah, it was 
so it was it was ironic that we did our last show there and not in New York, but um, but it did make sense in that in that respect. Yeah. But we did the final show in New York, but the but the, the final show was L.A. Okay. It was, um, you know, to me, the whole thing was uh, was a bad ploy to sell DVDs, <laughs> having all the special guests and all that yeah. stuff because. You know, and while I'm friends with most of those guys, I came up that night, and I respect the hell out of them. You know, I was we had guys from the biggest bands in the '90s up there: Soundgarden, yeah. Rancid. You know, we had Lemmy from Motorhead up there. Didi came up. You know, we had some big, big people come up there. Eddie Vedder come up. Um, but I don't think the fans really cared about that so much. You know what I mean? I think they wanted to see a final remote show. Like oh, yeah. Lemmy, absolutely. People loved it, you know. But Lemmy wrote that song, you know what right. I mean? But, um, um, yeah, the whole show had a very odd feeling to it. It, okay. it was really, it was really strange. And then after the show was even weirder because, um, uh, when we went off stage, Johnny immediately went over with his group of people, Joey went with his, Mark went with his. I was talking to, um, the fans for a while. And at some point, Johnny's tech, Rick, came over and tapped me on the shoulder, and he was like, hey, we loaded up all the amps in your in your uh, truck, and Johnny said you can have them. And I was like, oh, where are they at? And he was like, everyone's gone. We never even said goodbye. Oh, wow. We never even, like, there was like no, there was no goodbye. There was no nothing. And we all just kind of went our own ways, and, you know, there was talk about us going down to uh, South America to do a couple of shows mm-hmm. when it was all over with, but it was really so, the whole evening was so anticlimactic that for me it was really just like a big letdown. There was some really cool parts of the night, I mean I got to hang out with some, you know, with with, uh, with a lot of friends and that night I went out rage like mad, but it was <laughs> um, uh, but it was re- the, sh- the show itself and the a- and and what we did afterwards was so anticlimactic that I almost felt like a little twinge of like of uh, you know I was just kind of very melancholy you know yeah. I was like that sucks you know I thought we would like hang out together and just have like a last little band meeting or something or yeah. what you say hey I'll talk to you soon or something yeah see them from the time we left the stage uh, until. The next time I saw them for an autograph signing, that was it. That really? Was yeah. Did you ever, like, keep in touch with any of them, like, via, like, the phone, yeah. or? Okay. Yeah, we, we, I kept it, you know, Joey was, me and Joey were friends. Like, me and Joey were friends, like you would think of friends. Go to movies together, go to shows together. I'd stay in his apartment, we'd listen to music. I, I, I used to, like, bring, you know, new stuff to him. He played me all great old stuff that he liked. So um, cool. You know, we were really, really, you know, tight in that way. That's good. Um, Johnny was more like my mentor or a father figure or something like that. Yeah. And not that, you know, not that my relationship with him wasn't as close with Joey's. It was just different. Right. You know. Um, but, uh, you know, I always kind of, like, I, I even even though I was friends with everything else, I knew how haunted they were and, and how how much you know how much they didn't like being like 
harassed and all that stuff. So I wouldn't really call them all that much. I would wait for them to call me, or I would just call them every once in a while and be like, "Hey, what's up?" Yeah. Um, but um, you know, I stayed I stayed in touch with them all the way up till uh, you know Joey Joey died. You know, Joey died in the hospital. Yeah. But like Johnny, I saw him the day before he died. I think it was mm. or two days before he died. Um, uh, he called uh, to me and my manager Gene Frawley, who was actually Johnny's right hand man in the Ramones, and um, he called us up and asked us to go up to his place. So I got to go up and and we said goodbye. He thanked me, you know, for for my time in the band and what I did for the band. And I thanked him for the opportunity, and so it was nice. Like I actually got to say goodbye That's and good. thanks. Joey was a different story. I never got to. Um, I never really got to have that moment with Joey, and of course, Dee Dee died, you know, suddenly of an overdose, yeah. uh, which was sad. But Tommy, Tommy liked Johnny. I got to tell Tommy, you know, I got to have like a really good discussion with Tommy, That's and uh, and really tell and really tell him, you know, I, that I knew how important he was to the band and all that stuff. So yeah. it was cool. I really. Tommy and Johnny, I got to have nice conversations with. And even Dee Dee, I got to say, even Dee Dee, the last time I saw Dee Dee, he was playing in New York. He asked me to come up on stage and sing a song with him. And um, I just noticed like, how much sweat there. I was practicing earlier. That's why I got it up. Oh, no worries. <laughs> I don't think I walk around all the time. But uh, uh, last time I saw Dee Dee, he was playing in New York City, doing a show. He asked me to come up and sing it uh, and play a song with him. And after the show, we were alone backstage, and he was like, "You know, CJ, I just wanted to tell you, you were always really cool to me. You're a good friend." And he and he was like talking like very like heart to heart, which is totally not like Dee Dee. Yeah. You know? totally yeah. Not like him. He was always Dee Dee Ramon. Yeah. And it was the first time I really saw him like out of character. And I I even said to my girl at the time, I was like, I don't know, "That's weird that Dee Dee was like that." I said. I don't know, maybe he was high or something, you know, but he never, he was never like that. Like, he would, he would always be like, you know, I took him out looking for apartments and stuff a couple, couple of times, and he was always like, thanks a lot, CJ, you're really cool, you know. But this was like the first time he was like, really like, heart to heart discussion, and, and it was just me and him, and I was like, and I, I just thought, I felt weird about it, and sure as shit, he was dead. I mean, it couldn't have been maybe a week, two weeks later or something like that. Wow. So it, it always kind of stuck in my head like, man, I wonder if he if he offed himself. You know what I mean? I wonder if that was like, because, you know, I had to happen once before. I had a cousin who um, who killed himself, and before he did, he came by the house to, like, say goodbye. And, and But we didn't understand that. We didn't know that, you know right. what I mean? But we, then we found out he had done that with a bunch of people. So, I like, I, I understand that mindset. And then looking back after that, I was like, man, that seemed like the same thing, you know? Yeah. And yeah, I, I really don't want to believe that Dee Dee would have done himself in, yeah. but that just, that always put that little bit of doubt in my head, you know? Yeah. You never know, you know what I mean? You never know what's going on in no. somebody's head, so, especially somebody like Dee Dee who already suffered from mental problems, and, yeah. you know, was a drug abuser for a lot of years and whatnot, so. For sure. He was a good. He really was a good guy, though. He was definitely, definitely had his issues and whatnot. But yeah. I mean, he he really had a good heart. He really yeah. had a good heart. He was a good guy. That's good. He was, uh, and you know, 
of course he'll never be another Didi. His talent was was just beyond and beyond, which is another thing that haunted him. You know, yeah. the people like made jokes about the speech he gave at um, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame at the induction when he was like. I want to thank myself. He said that because like, he knew, and, and and I say it all the time, he's one of the greatest rock and roll songwriters of all time. He knew that. And, yeah. and he was so frustrated that he never got the recognition for it, that he never got the, the you know, that nobody ever said that or spoke about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, I think that really bothered him. I really think it bothered him. Sure. And of course it should. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah. Everyone wants to be, especially if you're an artist, you want to be recognized for your contributions. Absolutely. Like what you leave behind, you know, so. Oh, yeah. yeah good, but a really good guy. I loved him. Really awesome. good guy. That's good. I think it's really sad that, like, you didn't get to tell Joey goodbye or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was rough when Joey was in the hospital. They... They weren't letting just anybody go up there, you know what I mean? Right. They, they had a pretty small group of people that were allowed to go up and see him. And uh, I called him a couple of times and got through to him, and he was like, you know, why don't you come up and see me? And I didn't want to tell him, you know, I, I can't, you know. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, I had uh, Joey absolutely, without a doubt, 100% knew that, that you know, that, I, that he was important to me. And that, oh, yeah. Our friendship was important, but and and that's always, you know, the 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 most important thing. You know, what I mean, you want somebody to know that before you before you don't you know see him again. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's an important thing, you know. I have that. I have I have that thing where whenever my kids whenever my kids leave the house, I always tell them I love them because right. I, you never know. Like it's always that thing, like. Might be the last time you see him. You want to make sure the last time you see him, you said something nice, or you didn't at least didn't leave angry with each other. Right. Oh yeah. But I know Joey understood. He, I know he did. You know what I mean? I know he, he, he knew what I thought of him and how important he was and everything. That's but great. it was just really odd to be in a in a situation where, you know, suddenly you go from, you know, working with people that were your idols. Like somebody that you really looked up to when you were younger, or respected, or however you want to think of it, mm-hmm. and then suddenly you're in a situation where you're friends with them. But right. you're friends with them, but you're also in business with them and having like arguments and everything. And it's always hard to like really say what was on my mind because there was sometimes I just wanted to, you know, be like fuck you. You don't even know <laughs> what you're talking about. You know what I mean? But I could never say that to Joe Ramone. Oh well, yeah. Ramone, you know? <laughs> yeah, for but sure. It was, it was always an awkward situation, but. I, I thank God that I that I was ever part of it. You know, yeah. it was really a uh, it was really an unbelievable experience, and I got you know I made I made really good friends through it, and, and learned a lot, and saw the world, and, yeah, and the hell out of myself, you know. Yeah, well, I hope I didn't bring up any tough feelings asking you all those questions. No, 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 not at all. It's the greatest period of my life. Mm. I, I have no problems talking about any of it, and even the you know the the. The thing that that I've always had a good handle on is there's always bad that comes to good. There's oh, always yeah. good that comes to the bad. You know what I mean? And even that, even losing them, even them dying young and all of that stuff. That you know, it doesn't make the it doesn't make my time in the band and and my time with them as friends any harder to think about. Or it's just part of it. You right. know what I mean, it's just part of the cycle. That's true. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm really, like I said, I'm really honored that you 
wanted to do this and uh, that you could talk about all this stuff. It, it's all amazing. Those are awesome stories that I think that it's not just stuff that you can just look up on your own and just read about. So it's it's awesome yeah. to hear it straight from your mouth. Um, I had a couple more questions, if you don't mind. Awesome. Um, so you did... You started being in a band. Is it Los Gusanos after the Ramones? Los Gusanos. Actually, Los Gusanos started... Um, I started Los Gusanos probably in like 90 or 91. Oh, okay. I really liked playing so much that when the Ramones weren't playing, I wanted to keep playing. Right, yeah. So um, I, uh, I wanted to do something different, so I bought a guitar, and I learned how to play guitar, you know, taught myself, and... Um, because if you play bass, doesn't necessarily mean you can play guitar. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I never took any lessons, music lessons, period. So, okay. So um, I bought a guitar and I just started playing around, writing some songs, and got together with some couple guys from where I live, and uh, started the band, and you know, just started doing some little gigs here and there, and uh, did a couple of recordings, and then when uh, the Ramones retired. We went out and did a couple of tours and um, had, started having a pretty good time, but we got to the studio and started the second record and um, um, the deal with our record company fell through. Mm -hmm. They pulled the deal on us and then we had problems keeping drummers in the band. We were like a real heavy, heavy partying band. Like back then I used to, I used to keep on drink. Yeah. And, uh, so we would get, you know, we would get a drummer in the band and We'd always tell them, you don't got to keep up with us. You don't got to try to be the, you know, party animal guy or anything. Do we usually do and have fun? Yeah. And yeah. Um, we get them out on the road and, and they would start trying to keep up and <laughs> burn them out. They, they would burn out after one or two tours. And we literally, we went through five or six drummers inside of a couple of years. Wow. And, uh, and it made it tough to keep the band together. Yeah. Really. And then I started a family. And, uh, I didn't know you had kids, actually. <laughs> Say again? I didn't know you had kids, actually. I have three. I got three. Wow. So, uh, I, uh, my boy was born in 97. Okay. okay. And then, uh, 98, he was diagnosed with, uh, with autism. So, so sorry. I tried to keep going, I tried to keep touring and stuff. And I even tried taking him and his mom out on the road, and it just got to be too tough. Yeah. And uh, so I just quit playing. Yeah. And uh, and um, and then <laughs> and then, funny enough, I got the phone just a little while after I quit. I got contacted by Johnny. Called me up, and he was like, um, "Our our last tour was Lollapalooza." And Soundgarden and Metallica were the headliners. Johnny had gotten to be good friends with Kirk Hammett on that tour. They both collected high-end movie posters. Mm -hmm. And um, so Johnny called me up and he was like, Hey, um, Metallica wants you to play bass for them. Oh, wow. And I said, I was like, what? And he said, yeah. And he was like, Jason Newstead gave him notice. It's not public yet, so don't say anything. Um... But they saw Yamal Palooza and, and I told them that you could do it, and, uh, and they want uh, they want you to play bass for them. And I was like, I can't do it, John. And yeah. He was like, What? He's like, I can't do it. He 
and he's like, what are you talking about? I said, my son got diagnosed with autism, and uh, I got to be here. And he flipped. He was like, what are you, crazy? You'll be able to afford the best doctors. I'm like, well, and I love Johnny and respected him so much. I said, you know what? I'll, I'll go and see my son's doctor, and I'll tell him what the situation is. So I went to, uh, I went to my son's doctor, and I said, is the situation. I have an opportunity to join Metallica. Um, I'll be able to, I'll be making enough money to, I'll be able to have my own tour bus, hire therapist or whatever I need to come out on the road with me. And, and, uh, and you know, I'll be able to afford the best doctors and all that stuff. And, and this doctor was cool and listened and he was like, it's not lost on me who Metallica is, but the fact of the matter is, is your son needs to wake up in the same bed every day, have his breakfast, get on the school bus. He needs you to be there for all of it. Meet him after school, cook his dinner for him, talk him in bed. He said, if you want your son to have the best shot at having a normal life, that's what you got to do. I was like, all right. So I called Johnny back. I said, can't do it. He's like, you're crazy. He's like, you're crazy. He's like, there's a million guys who would line up to take his prize. Then I told him, I said, I know. Mm -hmm. So we hung up, and then uh, a couple weeks later, he called me back, and he was like, they're not even considering anyone right now. They have nobody on their radar, CJ. He was like, all you have to do is go out there and play with them. Just go out and try it. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, John, listen, I know. I was like, I would love to play. I'd love to be a metallic guy. But didn't even tell them I knew all their songs up to up to uh, uh, Master of Puppets is probably the last album that I figured anything off of, figured out any songs off of. Yeah. And um, I said, but uh, I can't do it. There's no way I can do it. Yeah. And he was like, John was he was he was really mad at me. He really was mad at me. I, I felt bad about it. And, you know, part of the problem was is that when I was in the Ramones, I didn't make a lot of money. I, I started out making $350 a week and never made more than $700. Wow. So, and I know Johnny always kind of felt bad about that. But, and I, I guess he saw it as a way to kind of pay me back for my loyalty to the band and everything. Mm -hmm. But there was just no way I could do it, you yeah. know. And, um, uh, and, and so that's, I, I passed it up. But if you saw my son today, he started college last week. He graduated from high school with an advanced regents diploma. He had, um, he was uh, recognized for, uh, he got a gold key award for four seasons of uh, varsity track. He got um, uh, rec uh, recognized for completing the culinary arts program in the Bosun in the Bosun School, and he's going to school to be a chef. That's awesome. He's fluent Italian. That's I've amazing. Taken on the road with me, you know, he just came back from a month in Europe with me before we started school. That's wonderful. He's been to Japan. I mean, he's really, my son has really had a very, very full, very cool life. And he's worked really hard to, to get to where he is. But, and I'm not saying that's because I passed up Metallica, but I think had I not been around, he would not have had a shot at doing as good as he has. Absolutely. So, that's really my justification for for, uh, for doing what I did. And even had it not turned out um, as good as it has for him, 
there's still no way that I would have I would have I would have been able to go. There's right. no way. I would oh, yeah. I wouldn't been able to 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 make up that time to it, you know. Oh, yeah. So um so yeah, so I stayed home and I was a daddy for I was away from music for a good long time, from about probably ninety nine, two thousand all the way to two thousand and eight. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so in between, I did have another band called um, Bad Chopper. Okay, yeah, I, I listened to that album. I, we did some. Um, uh, we did. We went to Japan once, and we went to South America once, and we did a couple, few little things here and there. Yeah. But um. Uh, but the the guy I started the band with, Mark Sheehan. Uh, killed himself. He really he went kind of kind of went off the rails. Uh, he had mental health issues and kind of went off the rails and uh, and disappeared for a while. And we had no contact. And I was trying to keep mm-hmm. the man going, but he just really had bad problems and eventually killed himself. So I just kind of let that band go. I didn't want to feel like it was good to continue with it, with somebody else. Mm-hmm. And um, then in two thousand eight, I just started going out to see Jeremy again started going out and doing shows and, and uh, the response was good so 2012 I put out Ray Conquista uh-huh, I listened to that and then 2014 I put out um, Last Chance to Dance mm-hmm. and I was supposed to be putting out my new record this September oh yeah but we run into a couple of glitches and it's probably going to come out in the spring of 2017 okay well, I've been listening to uh, Reconquista and um, Last Chance to Dance. My favorite songs right now, I would say, are uh, Till the End and uh, You're the Only One. Those are my favorites right now. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it's funny. I, I, uh, I, I never really sat down and uh, tried to write songs before. Well, always before I just wrote I was always very emotional when I wrote so like Bad Chopper is an angry angry album it's like everything. it's like straight up punk <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 totally like um very much like that but those songs were probably written in I think 2000 2001 2002 like in that time period and that's when um that's when my first marriage was kind of coming apart yeah. So, so that time period, I, had, I was, I was, uh, I had a little bit of uh, anger going on. Yeah, it's but, angry. Uh, <laughs> after, but for for uh, for Reconquista, mm-hmm. I was, you know, there was I had gotten together and got I got remarried to a gal I was friends with for seventeen years, and yeah. we had a uh, we had a little girl together. I have. Um, you know, I have custody of my, my two older ones from my first marriage, so my life really calmed down a lot. And as I started to decompress from, you know, from the from 1996 when the Ramones retired till that that period around 2008 2009, my life was really hectic and crazy. You know, yeah. so um, when I had time to kind of just sit back and relax, and I started writing songs just. I had my my old acoustic, my uh, Martin over there that I just would every night I would sit down and start strumming on it, and all of a sudden these songs just started popping out. Yeah. And I was like, 
especially after Raycon Key, so like the, the two songs that you, you just named, I was like, I wish I would have those written because I can hear Joey sing those songs. I can just hear it. I know, so that's what I thought perfect. too when I heard them, yeah. Yeah. They, the, especially because um, Adios Amigos to me was like a weak retirement record. Like it, it's got some good songs on it, but I always felt like it was not, um, it really, we should have had something offered us something better as our final goodbye. Yeah. And when I when I listened back to Reconquista and even some of the stuff on the Bad Chopper record, I was like, man, I wish I would have had these songs written back then. Yeah. <laughs> Without a ripping last record. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've been listening to those leading up to interviewing you today and stuff, and and yeah, um, I really like. I mean, I like a lot of the songs on there, and it's funny that you say that you can hear Joey singing them because that's exactly what I thought when I heard them. Yeah. I was like, man, like this really makes me think of songs like Baby I Love You and um, it's funny too because like, I, I know a lot of people like oh, you know are you trying to sound like the Ramones are you trying to write that but you know it's it's, it's just my influences you yeah. know? it's hard for me not to sound like that because I was a fan for years before I was in the band sure. and then I played with the band for seven years yeah. 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 the Ramones have been a big part of my life since I'm 13 years old Mm. That's my, that's the entire time that I played music. Yeah. So it's yeah. really hard for me not to to show some kind of influence. But I feel like even though you can hear them in there as an influence, there's there is some separation that that comes from other other influences. Absolutely. The other thing is too is I, I was influenced by so much of the same music that they were influenced by. You know, right. even though they they're you know they're they were. Uh, the full ten years older than me. Um, I listened to what my dad listened to when I was a kid. So I grew up with early country music, everything from the fifties, doo wop, all the R and B stuff from the sixties, yeah. and then the, by the seventies, I was finding my own music. You know what I mean? So everything that influenced the Ramones, I was already a fan of. Right. So right. my my um, my influences come from the same place. Yeah. Well, I think that, I mean, people, you know, everybody's a critic, but <laughs> I think that even though obviously you can tell the direct Ramones influence and other bands that they were influenced by in your music, I still think that, yeah, it stands on its own. And I think that it's really cool that it has a Ramones influence um, because it's, it's awesome that somebody like you is still making good music like that today. And it's carrying on a legacy, I think. And I think that's important. You know that I, 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 when I first started coming back, people were like, "You know, what's your goal? You, you've been in the Ramones, you know what I mean? Right. Like, what could you possibly be out there <laughs> trying to do musically other than make a living?" Yeah. And I, I said, "You know, to me, music's been stale for a long time. There hasn't been like, there really hasn't been a a big breakthrough scene since like." Emo, you know, I think Emo was the big, the last big scene that, that took over everything. Yeah. But um, but I, you know, my hope is is that the Ramones music started a revolution when it came out. You know, what I mean, all the kids that were just intimidated by listening to Led Zeppelin or you know, like all the big progressive rock bands and all that they heard the Ramones and they were like I can do that right. I, mean, I can do that I get that I understand 
So I'm, I'm kind of hoping that what I, if I'm hoping that what I do helps to kind of kick that off in there. And and it's kind of cool because it seems like um, it seems like there are starting starting to be some really cool bands uh, again, um, and not necessarily like the no FX Bad Religion, you know, uh, Green Day and, and Rancid. Not like you know, not like the big big bands, but some like smaller punk rock bands starting to come up now, yeah. and that that's a good sign. You know, to me, that's a good sign. If if if, uh, if you're starting to see it on the underground, that means it's making its way up, and that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I personally, I'm a musician, also, obviously, <laughs> and um, I mean, I love the Ramones, and I I try to take influence and, and write my own songs and stuff. I'm in the process of recording a new album now, and. Nice. Uh, yeah, and um, I have it's for me. I take a lot of influence not only from punk and rock and roll, but I take a lot of influence, like you said, from the '50s and '50s country artists like Johnny Cash and Hank Williams, even, and you know, yeah. all those people That's of that time. Stuff I grew up with Patsy Cline. Oh yeah. Back in the day, you know. Yeah. So. So yeah, I think it's in, it's important that you're you're playing music like that, and and that's what I want to do. Also, I want to make more good music like that. I just think that the whole music industry is oversaturated with just this top forty pop nonsense, yeah. and I really I hope that changes, like you were saying. So you know the other the other thing I think that that changed um, in punk rock that I wasn't a big fan of was on the East Coast. Punk rock was not political. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't political. Like we had like the Dead Boys and and the Ramones and Debbie, you know, and Blondie, and yeah. like it was more like pop, good songs played aggressively, you yeah. know, just like kind of fun. Yeah. You know? yeah. On the West Coast, it was the total opposite. It was very political. It was <laughs> like you know, you know, anti-religion, anti-politics, and and, and and while I love a lot of those bands, I was always like, you know what? I don't want to hear that crap. Right. I want to have fun. I want to have fun. I want yeah. to have a good time. Oh, yeah. I don't want to be a bitching and moaning about politics <laughs> and all that stuff. I really don't. And mm-hmm. I, I understand that you know it makes it makes kids pump their fists in the air and gets them all riled up. But for the most part, you know, it's it's part of the reason why I never talk about politics. I don't want some kid hearing me talk about politics and taking my opinion as his own because I said it. Right. You know, I don't know everything about politics. I don't know everything about what's <laughs> going on in the world. You know what I mean? Right. And not that I don't follow politics, I do. Not that I don't have political opinions, I do. Not that I don't, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm totally uh, um, blind to everything going on. I'm not. But the fact of the matter is, is that when you are have any type of celebrity status, or when you have a stage and a microphone, you really have to be careful about what you say and what you do. Yeah. Because it affects people's lives in a very big way, you know? And I, I always felt like, I'm better off not saying anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I'm better off not giving my opinion, um, and not because... I'm worried I'm going to lose fans or alienate people. I mean, if you go on my Facebook page, I put up stuff sometimes on my Facebook page, um, uh, you know, just like, uh, you know, thanks to the military or something like that. 
and I get some grief for it right away. Like I got, you know, oh, fuck the military. Oh my God. But, but I, you know, but in, in that, in that respect, if it's even though it's public, it's on my Facebook page. That's I also put personal stuff up there too. Sure. So. I put it up there, and this way, if anybody has anything to say about it, I can argue about it with them, or go go back and forth. And I, I tell them, hey, if you don't dis- if you don't agree with me, I totally respect that. But you're caught, you're on my little piece of the real estate of the Ethan there here, and and so I put up what I like. Yeah. I'm totally willing to argue the point with you, but you can't come up on you know once people start putting up hateful stuff or just you know like cursing and stuff like that, then I just delete it and see you later. I don't. You know, oh yeah. That, that's not constructive. You know? No, I run into it too. Doesn't mean anything. Yeah. But, um, yeah. But as far when when it comes to music, really, I want to have fun. You know, what I mean, I want to have fun. Music's always been a place to go to to forget about all that crap and get yeah. away from the world and, and 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 get lost in something that you really enjoy. You know, that's always how I thought of it. Definitely. Well, that's awesome. And that doesn't mean that everybody has to. No. I'm saying, like I said. I'm a big fan of a lot of those West Coast bands that are, that are political hating and, and, <laughs> and everything else. Um, and I respect their opinions, you know what I mean? But, um, sure. but for me, that's just not what I like to do. Right, yeah. Well, that's good. You do you. <laughs> um, well, yeah. uh... That's how you... That's, that's yeah. Um, well, I don't want to keep you too long. Um, I have, I guess, just a couple ending-type things. Um, okay. So... You just released Last Chance to Dance in 2014, you said? Yeah, November 2014. Okay. So, are you still promoting that record, or are you promoting your new record? Right now, um, we're, we're still out doing um, Last Chance to Dance. This, I, I leave Argentina on Thursday, and then uh, we get back, and then we start a um, West Coast tour uh, in October. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's the 12th. And... Uh, so we'll still be doing Last Chance to Dance. This was these were really booked to, to be the kickoff tour for the new record, but new record ain't making it. Yeah. We're not gonna have it out in time. So um mm-hmm. uh, so it'll still be Last Chance to Dance. But you know what I always mix it up, like I, I try to change up the Ramon songs I do in the set because I still do Ramon songs in the set and mm-hmm. I try to pull a couple of uh, a couple of songs that I don't usually do uh, live, I try to pull those off of my records and do those, so I change it up a little bit we always make sure it's a fun show, I always have really good bands with me, I've had guys uh, well I have the guys from um, from uh, uh, the Adolescents out with me mm-hmm. uh, Steve, awesome. uh, Steve Solo Dan Root from the Adolescents come out with me um, Pete Sosa from the Street Dogs comes out with me, I've had Johnny Two Bags and Dave Hidalgo Jr. from Social Distortion out with me oh nice, I've had, uh, um, Ian and Ricky from the Aquabats come out with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've I've always had good, really good players come out with me, and, and I think the fans dig that a lot too. And when you you know when you're doing classic sounding stuff and 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 just really laid back and relaxed and fun, you know the the the, the song choices don't always matter all that right. much. <laughs> sometimes we pull out like some real fan favorite Ramon stuff like Babysitter and oh, nice. Outsider and, nice. and you know like we really pull some pull some out we really dig in the catalog and pull some yeah. out so and, and people go wild they love it you know we do I Want to Be a Boyfriend 
Okay. Baby, I love you live. Yeah, I watched, I saw it. I saw it a couple of times. So, yeah, it's awesome. You know, we really try to mix it up live and, 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 and kind of do. I know, like, Mark and Richie are out there and they're, like, hitting her, the heavy Ramon stuff real heavy, you know? Yeah. Um, but I try to do some of the fan favorites. And I don't I don't try to recreate the Ramon show, live show. I try to be um, loyal to the Ramon sound. And that's why we play it kind of at record speed, and we do all the harmonies. We've yeah. Got all the nice little guitar parts and, yeah. and that's really that's what I loved about the Ramones. That's the kind of stuff I did. Well, earlier on, I didn't necessarily like the the um, the poppier stuff, mm-hmm. but um, I think now that I'm older, I can appreciate it a little bit more. Yeah. And now that's you know now I really like listening to that stuff. Yeah. I do too. I mean, I love both sides of it—the the more hardcore stuff and then the more melodic stuff because I, I love both sides. But um, yeah, I watched some of those clips. It's awesome. Uh, so, are you coming to Nashville on any of your tour? Because that's where I live. So I was in Nashville. We were just in Nashville this past summer. Oh well, shit! <laughs> I'm so sorry. We Where'd you play? played, oh lord. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I can't remember the name of the place we played. We played Nashville, but I think we played it last summer too. But, um, uh, so I think the new record will probably come out in the spring. And right now, I'm talking with my booking agent about doing a full U.S. tour, like a really big, actually a North American tour, doing U.S. and Canada, like one big giant tour, okay. and hitting like every major city. So um, that'll probably start sometime in the spring. Okay. Well, I'm really sorry that I missed like you guys will be on there, I promise. Okay, cool. Well, I'm sorry <laughs> that I missed you guys coming here. Honestly, when I get on Facebook, I get sometimes where I just don't even scroll anymore. <laughs> So, yeah. I need to keep yeah. better track. I apologize. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's been it's been kind of um, interesting climbing back into the ring just for that reason. A lot of people weren't even aware that I was back out and touring and stuff. It's just really in the last year oh, okay. that a lot of people have, have started learning that I've been back out. Um, my first record, I, Reconquista, I put out myself. Um, uh, Last Chance to Dance came out in, in November of 2014, a horrible time to release a record. Nobody's, nobody was even aware that it was out yeah. until I started touring. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, it, we haven't, things just haven't lined up that great for us. But at this point, I've been touring so much and so hard that people are starting to hear again. And the reputation that we've developed um, for being a really good live band and, and sounding really good live is, has really helped a lot it's really helped a lot and I'm hoping that um, when this next record comes out that it's gonna kind of give us that little push that we've been that we've been waiting for to get us a little bit more recognition and start maybe putting a few more people in the room yeah, yeah. well I really hope so um, and I'll definitely go see you when you come to Nashville <laughs> that's awesome um, well I wanted to say before I closed the interview that I think it's really awesome that you thought my doll was cool that I made because a lot of people really pick on me for that. <laughs> so, 
Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Oh God. Yeah. Um, I've shared it a lot on uh, like the Ramones fan pages and on the Joey page and stuff like that. And Mickey Lee, actually, I've I've talked to him a few times over Facebook and stuff. I really hope that I can interview him. So if you talk to him, give him a shout out for me. Okay. All right. <laughs> but um. Huh. Have you contacted him? Yeah, I tried to um, just message him on Facebook the other day, but I don't think he's seen it. I mean, he's a busy man, obviously. <laughs> so, yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's got a, a lot to manage there, so. Are you still close with him, or what are your feelings on that? I didn't ask, but. I see Mickey usually every year at the Joey Ramone birthday party. Oh, you're there? Um, okay. I've, I've always wanted to go. I just, it's a lot of money to travel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't play it, um this year because I was on tour yeah um but uh I see him you know I, I see him usually at that every year but I gotta tell you having a having a having a family and touring and all the other little things that I I do makes it really hard for me to <laughs> to anybody at this point besides the people that I work with right I, I really uh I really have a pretty tight schedule most days. Yeah, oh, I, I feel that. Um, but yeah, um, so he thought it was really awesome, and that was amazing, just because, I mean, obviously it's his fucking brother, you know? <laughs> so so I, was, I was just really, um, I was just really happy that you both approved and thought that was cool, because I get, like you were saying, people on your page being really hateful and mean and stuff, I get that any time that I post about it. <laughs> well, don't take it personally. Oh, That's, yeah. Part of the internet. Oh yeah. Part of the net. And when you put yourself out there, you have to be prepared to take it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It but you know, like I said, the people that that have something constructive to say, or the people that have like legitimate gripes or whatever, I have no problem entertaining them. Yeah. But when it's somebody just putting hateful stuff, and most times it's just people trolling, like, just something. And just trolling, that's all oh, yeah. I don't. I just don't take it serious. Oh, no, me neither, yeah. so, I, But I just always think it's cool when you get, like you were saying earlier, recognition for what you put out there, and that's always a great feeling. <laughs> so. That's right. That's um, right. But, yeah, I guess my one last special question is, what is your all-time favorite Ramon song? <laughs> <laughs> I think... At different time periods of my career, I gave different answers for this one. But probably my favorite remote song is Studios Punk. It, to me, it's like one of the most perfectly written songs. I just love it. It's fast. The melody line is great. The harmonies are cool. Yeah. It's punchy. The lyrics are crazy. I, I just <laughs> love it. It's like a perfect punk rock song. Yeah. That's an awesome answer. <laughs> well, yeah, awesome. It's, it's a great song. It really is. I mean, yeah, like Outsider is 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 definitely like one of my real real favorites. Like as far as like great song goes, you know what I mean? Like yeah. Outsiders, the lyrics are just so great. Um, that middle section there, that bridge part, I love it. Yes. it live, I, I love playing it live. Yeah. Um, you know, there's so many great Ramon songs. It's really tough to, to pick one, but oh, yeah. when I whenever I when I have to choose one, I always say Judy is a punk. It's the it's Whenever we write out the set, one song I always make sure it's in there is Studios Punk. Yeah. Not Blitzkrieg Bob, not I Wanna Be Skating, <laughs> not anything that I played on or sang on. 
Right. Well, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this interview. This is amazing. Thank you so much. Um, I'm so honored. Huh? That's great. I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> well, yeah. I hope. Um, I hope it didn't bother you too much. Or <laughs> But this has been great. But yeah, but thank you so much again, and um, I'll be in touch with you soon. Okay. All right. Well, good luck with your work. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so okay. much. All right. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. And next up is Last Chance to Dance by C.J. Ramon, the song he wanted me to promote off his most recent album that came out in 2014. So check it out and go to www.cjramon.com to catch up with him and keep up with everything that he's doing and to check out all of his albums and his tour dates.
I really hope that you enjoyed that amazing interview with CJ. I know that I had a blast being able to do it. So once again, I can't say it enough. Thank you so much, CJ, for being on my podcast. So with all of that, I'm going to end the show with our covers that we did for this special Halloween Ramones October podcast. The first song up is going to be my song. And I did Pet Cemetery by the Ramones, which I figured was appropriate. <laughs> so it's one of my favorite songs. And I think it's really cool, but the Ramones and Stephen King were friends, and Stephen King is obviously an amazing author, and he wrote Pet Cemetery, and then they made a film about it. Not only does Stephen King mention the Ramones in the novel, their song is played in the film as well. So shout out to Stephen King and his son, who's also amazing, Joe Hill. Um, shout out to both of you guys. I know I have had some amazing words with his son, Joe, because I fell in love with his book, Horns, and... Side note, I did a whole photo shoot dedicated to that book and stuff, and, and he thought it was great, which is amazing. So, anyways, big shout out to both Stephen King and his son. That said, uh, I love that movie, Pet Cemetery, and the book obviously came first, so that is amazing, firstly. So, you should watch that movie and you should read the book. So, yeah, so I'm excited to play you my cover of Pet Cemetery. Also, I meant to mention that in promotion for our podcast, if you follow me on social media, you know that three years ago I made a life-size doll of Joe Ramone, <laughs> and um, you can find pictures of him on my website, which is www.ericacase.com, and there's a whole little special button that you can click to go look at pictures of him. I don't know if I've ever talked about him on the podcast before, but I'll take a minute to kind of do a backstory on that. And yes, it probably sounds crazy to somebody that's not a huge Ramones fan, but I guess I was just so inspired by Joey and the whole band and the music that I was just like, you know what? I want to make a doll of him. And then I was like, well, why not just make a full life-size doll of him? So it took about three months and I worked on it every night. And he is an amazing 6'7", life-size, exact height model of Jerry Ramone as a rag doll. <laughs> and um, he's pretty amazing. He's got yarn hair and button eyes, just like a doll should. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so if you want to see pictures of him, go to my website. But um, I took some fun promotional pictures of him for uh, the show. So please go to our podcast page, which is bestandericahour.podbean.com to check out those fun photos. <laughs> Nobody knows I 
song and I'm going to pass it off to her to let her talk about it for a minute. I'm singing a song called A Long Black Veil and I hope you enjoy this song and I hope you enjoy all the beautiful music that my granddaughter uh, prepared for it to make it sound good. That's all I have to say that I enjoy doing podcasts for all you listeners and I hope you have a safe and beautiful Halloween. Thank you. Me too. We did Long Black Veil together and uh, I made it spooky. Is it originally a Johnny Cash song? or? Uh, no, we just recorded it. Oh, okay. No, it says the first person to do it. Lefty Frizzle? Yeah, Frizzle. Frizzle. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> it's coming to my knowledge that Long Black Bill was originally done by Lefty Frizzle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I just said, I know you didn't hear it because I cut it out, but um, I just looked it up on Wikipedia and I said, Lefty Frizzle? <laughs> she said, Frizzle. <laughs> so, excuse me. <laughs> he has a son named David also. I met him at a, the Four Square Church of God in Nashville and uh, he, he also entertains people and uh, I hadn't heard from him in a long time, but I hope he's still around making music. That's cool. You just know everybody. <laughs> but that's that's cool though. I didn't I didn't know that. I'm glad we just figured that out. <laughs> well anyways, I had a blast, as always, playing with my grandmother. I love I love playing with you. It's so it's so fun. I love it. Uh, I really hope you enjoy this. I think it's great. Yeah. 
sure alibi If you were someplace else Then you won't have to die I spoke not a word Though it meant my life I was in the arms Of my best friend's wife Now she <laughs> and then I'm going to end the show with a cover that I did of CJ's song and it's called You're the Only One and it's off of his album from 2012 called Reconquista and I hope I said that right <laughs> I don't speak a lot of Spanish but you should definitely check that out he's coming out with another album very soon he said it should be out next spring so keep your ears and eyes out for that I really hope you enjoy my cover CJ I really, I really hope you like it um, I hope I did your song justice. i
wanted to give a huge thank you to you for being on my podcast and being so awesome to let me Skype you and considering you don't know me at all. So that's amazing. Thanks so much. You are fucking awesome. So thank you so much. Like my grandmother was saying, I want everybody to have a safe and wonderful Halloween, but seriously be safe out there. Don't drink and drive all that stuff. Be safe and have a kick-ass Halloween. And thanks so much for joining us. Good night. And don't be afraid of the drive <laughs> But <laughs> then,